Welcome, everyone, to the November 1st edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Hopefully, everyone had a good last week. A lot happened, CJ. We've got a, we've got a ton to discuss. Like It's almost... Today I was putting together the our our, our topics and I, I I I'm hoping I got everything, but there's a lot to discuss. Yeah, there was plenty to go on. We're gonna have plenty of talk about today. I think you guys are in for a very good episode today. <laughs> yeah, and and thankfully for for the ducks, as opposed to kind of what we've uh, gotten used to, maybe at, at different points during this season. And even last year, there's actually a lot of positive to talk about. There's a lot of good news, I think, for the Ducks that that will be going over here. And I think that we just have to we have to get straight to it. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's Ryan Getzlaff setting franchise history on Sunday against the Montreal Canadiens, surpassing Timo Solani for the all-time lead in franchise scoring which is a huge milestone, I mean, for, for any player, um, and especially to surpass a guy like Timo Solani, who, um, I mean, was a prolific scorer for the Ducks, as well as other stops in his NHL career. Um, 989 points for Ryan Getzlaff. So I guess just right off the top here, CJ, when that happened on Sunday, when you saw when you saw Ryan Getzlaff deflect that pass uh, in the neutral zone over to Troy Terry, Terry come down, scoring the breakaway terry immediately realized oh crap that th- that was it that's the record what what was your gut reaction because you know as everybody knows i'm not an actual like ducks fan i'm happy for ryan getzlaff so i still think it's a cool moment <laughs> but for you as someone who's actually been a fan of this team for all these years what um i guess what was your reaction you know it's really interesting because for those of you who don't know, I'm actually not a particularly longtime Ducks fan or even hockey fan for that matter. I didn't start closely following hockey and, you know, therefore the Ducks until 2010, until the 2010-2011 season. Um, so I didn't grow up with hockey. I didn't grow up with the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. So realistically, that makes Ryan Getzloff basically the best player that I have seen in my fandom. Now I know objectively that in terms of overall talent level and their overall careers, you probably have Timo Solani and, and probably Paul Korea as maybe better hockey players than Ryan Getzloff. Um, but as far as actual relation to the Ducks goes, as far as ha- what they mean to the Ducks, Ryan Getzloff is kind of the number one, the top person that I think of because he has been the captain for literally the entire time that I have been watching hockey. And so just for me, that was an extra special moment because he's the only Ducks captain I've ever known. He's always been, he's almost always been the Ducks best player for me. And I was lucky enough to be in the building yesterday to watch him score that or get that point in the past team of Solani. And I got some of Solani's later um, years, which were, which were fun. And I got a couple of good years from him, but Ryan Getzloff, he has just been the definition. He is the guy you think of when you think of this franchise from like 2010 onward. And I think the entirety of the Honda center building really felt that and had those emotions released as soon as everybody realized that he got the point and was able to pass Timu. Yeah, there was a little bit of a, de- a delayed relax- reaction almost when you see that uh, T- 
Terry scores, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, it happened. <laughs> we're we're finally here. And it's funny reading some of the comments from from Getzlaff over the over the last couple. I mean, I guess the last twenty four hours, and just him saying things like, yeah, I've I've had to tell my family to to stop reminding me every single game because it was just starting to to build up so much. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, it's really cool. And I think that one thing that's, I mean, I guess my own reaction was just, yeah, that it was just a, a neat moment. It was also a, a beautiful pass by Getzlaff. I mean, that's kind of another thing that probably is worth mentioning is that Ryan Getzlaff has been such a an excellent playmaker throughout his career. And part of that is because he's just so cerebral with the puck. He's he's able to see things, you know, a couple steps ahead of, of his opposition. And you saw it on that play. He's facing the other way. He's facing the other way from the actual opposing net, but he knows that Troy Terry is streaking down the middle and he just places just, he he gets a stick on the pocket, just the right angle to deflect it so that it perfectly leads Terry into what became a breakaway and Terry with the, the perfect, I mean, it looked like it looked a lot like a triple deke, which I know mighty ducks fans are going to love. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was kind of a perfect encapsulation of what has made him great in his career is just being such a smart player. And it's also a a great moment to point out that looking at this season so far, I mean, Ryan Getzlaff has played incredibly well. If you, if you look at just any, I mean, really any metric, but I think what stands out to me is how good he has been defensively. So I guess for you, now that he's set the record, for the Ducks, what's kind of the what comes next for Ryan Getzlaff? I mean, do you think that um, you know he's he's got one year left on his contract? He's in, or I should say, he's in the final year, the only year of his deal. Um, do you think it's kind of a year by year basis, or, or what should we kind of be looking out for uh, moving forward? I, I personally think he probably goes the Timu route, and just remember, Timu just had a series of consecutive one year deals until he decided he was ready to hang him up. Now, I think that given the way he's playing this year, Getzloff still does have at least, I would say, one or two more good years of hockey in him. He's he's playing better than he has in quite a while, and that's saying something because he hasn't been particularly bad. Um, He certainly hasn't been prime Ryan Getzloff, but he clearly still has some stuff left in the tank. We're seeing that this season, and I think at this point it's more of a matter of does he want to continue mentally? Is he mentally there? Does he want to pull a, you know, retire before he hits 40? Um, because I think that realistically, assuming he stays healthy, he could probably play till he hits 40. I think that's realistic given um, where his is, that his mind is as sharp as ever. He's never been the fastest skater, but he's never had to rely on that skating ability. And that's allowed him some level of longevity. So at this point, I think it's just a matter of where is his mind? Where is he psychologically? And I think from I've heard some reports personally that he's actually very much enjoyed getting to play the role of mentor to the young kids. Um, I think that he's kind of embraced that role, especially as the captain. And uh, so it, it really just kind of depends on what he thinks at the end of this season. Um, now, with that being said, the way he's playing right now and with where the Ducks are, I actually think it's pretty likely he gets dealt to a contender at some point. Like that was kind of the whole point of the no move clause. He got a full no move clause and a one year deal so that he could effectively choose his own destination. He could choose to stay with the team. um, But given the fact that he did entertain free agent offers and that has in the past, especially last season said, 
hey, I'm willing to move if a deal makes sense for the team, then I think that there could be a likelihood of that. But I think it's still a little too early to tell. So we will see. Um, But at this point, I would be surprised if he signed a longer term deal at any point, whether that's with the Ducks or something else. I think he's probably just kind of playing it out right now. Yeah, I think that that's the right takeaway, because obviously people are, you know, once once the trade deadline approaches, people are going to start asking once again, just like last year, is he going to, you know, are the Ducks going to trade him? You know, is is someone going to look to pick up Ryan Getzlaff at the trade deadline? I feel like that was talked about ad nauseum last year. And I guess we found out that there was some merit to it because there was, there were potential trades on the table, one to Montreal and one to Vegas. And ultimately Ryan Getzlaff chose not to go through with them. So and that remains the case. He, like you mentioned, he has that no move clause. And I really, I really think that after last summer where he could have gone somewhere else and chose not to, I feel like he does value being a one team guy. You know, there's not many of those uh, in, in NHL history with his level of success. Now, even some of the great kind of guys that you associate mainly with one team, like let's say a Jerome McGinla did ultimately end up kind of going cup chasing at the end of their career. So Maybe now that Ryan Getzloff has set that record for the Ducks, maybe it becomes a little easier to to move on. I mean, especially because now he's 11 points away from 1,000, which I, I'm assuming he'll hit in a Ducks uniform. So maybe he'll be more open to it. Who knows? But I guess for you personally, does it make you feel anything if he if he leaves to, to go to a contender? Or would you prefer to see him finish out his career in Anaheim? I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't be sad. I totally understand and it's completely with it as right. And I will be the first person to say, Getsy, go chase a cup. Go get another cup. You deserve it. You've given everything to this franchise. You do not owe a single second penny um, thought more to this franchise. You have given your entire career, your life, 15 is never going to be worn by any other player. It is going to go up to the rafters the second he announces his retirement from hockey. Uh, At the end of the day, but like being a fan, yeah, definitely will be sad. And I think most Ducks fans will, but it'll be more of like a happy sad, right? It'll be more of a, hey, buddy, go get your cup, go get that bag, go do what you got to do. You gave your best years to us and uh, we're going to support you, even if it is hard to watch him walk away. Right. And I I think that it it will be very interesting to see because, you know, once he hits a thousand points, he's he has a Stanley Cup in Anaheim. He uh, the number 15 will be retired uh, once his career is over. So maybe it'll be easier to leave. But I don't know. I mean, like you said, he he's enjoying the role of a mentor. You saw it in the postgame comments on Sunday with Troy Terry and what he had to say about Getzlaff and just how vital of a role he's played um, in his own development, just, you know, not, not even just as a hockey player, but even just as a person. (laughs) So to hear stuff like that, I mean, that's not going to go away during the season. The ducks are still one of the youngest teams in the NHL. And you would, you would figure that that role is only going to continue to be important, especially because look, as much as we'll get into the ducks have been this more exciting team this year, there's probably still there's still losing games that's going on and that's probably not going to totally go away. So having a stronger voice, someone to keep 
I guess the train on the tracks is still going to remain important the rest of the way. So, and I think the important thing to remember as well is that with Getzloff still being in Anaheim, he has now experienced several losing seasons. Like he has now experienced rebuilding. He had never really experienced rebuilding before this whole situation went through. And now you have a bunch of these young players coming up. Some of them who have known losing like Troy Terry and Max Jones and Sam Steele and Max Comtois, right? But you do have players like Trevor Zegris. You have the next generation coming up with Drysdale, Mason McTavish, um, Jacques Peru. You're going to have uh, Passageoff and Selweger coming up here eventually. There could be something there where you have a vet who has seen it all. He has seen the championships. He has seen the perennial contenders. And he's also seen several seasons of bad hockey and of rebuilding mm-hmm. hockey. And that knowledge the ability to mentor from that state of mind and from that experience is incredibly valuable. And we talk all the time about the numbers and all nine impact. And while that is incredibly important, it is also undeniably important to have leadership in the room and people who have been through the tough times who can help you learn how to deal with it, especially if you're a young player who has mostly known success through a lot of their, like Zegris comes to mind, has known mostly success right? And so mm-hmm. having a player who can tell you how to handle that, who can show you how to handle that, that's invaluable and gets offerings that. Yeah. And I mean, you touched on it a little bit with the numbers, but he's still been very effective this season. I mean, he's exactly he's turned into, and this is something that we saw developing last season, but he's turned into arguably, maybe not even arguably the Ducks best defensive forward. I mean, his, if you just look at his yeah. impact at suppressing shot quality, um, shot quantity against he's he's been very very effective for the Ducks and he's one of the few players on this team who's above break even in terms of shot attempt differential so you know trading him this year if that were to actually happen of course you're doing it because you're getting something back that's going to help you but that would really hurt them in the short term because he's I think he's he's been their best defensive center I think Trevor Zegras all around has probably been their best center. Um, maybe maybe that's a spicy take. I don't know. Uh, but Zegras has had that offensive impact. But Getzloff is the is the shutdown guy. Uh, yeah. Sorry sorry to the uh, to the Bo Groove fan club. Which is <laughs> really funny to think club. about if you if you would have told me like five or six years ago that Ryan Getzloff would be the team's best shutdown center, I would be shaking my head and wondering. You know what edible did you have, and can I have some? <laughs> well, well. So the thing is, he. It's funny because there's always been that that discussion throughout his career of the fact that he's not the fleetest of foot, that he's not quick, and I think that that actually benefits him a little bit. You know, right now defensively because he doesn't get out of position. He's he's not just scampering his feet, looking busy, looking like he's doing something. He's just taking the filling the right lanes, getting his stick in the right position not over committing. And it's funny how playing defense in hockey is that that's a huge part of it. That's something that you see a lot of players make the mistake of is when someone is approaching them, you know, like one-on-one off the rush or down the, down the neutral zone guys overcommit. They, they, they lunge out. They try to take a step up at the wrong moment when they're, when their gap isn't tight enough and then they get walked, they get burned or they just get passed over. With Getzlaff, you don't really ever see him get caught out of position because he's so patient. He lets the game come to him, and he knows when to jump in, when to up his activity level when it's time, when it's appropriate. So, And then... I think it makes sense. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, that makes perfect sense because the reason why Ryan Getzloff was so effective for so many years, and we still see this to some extent, is that especially as the league got faster and faster, whenever Getzloff hit the ice, he dictated the pace of play. Like to me, mm-hmm. that is where some of the, the the best players on the planet have the ability that when they're on the ice, the the play is going through them. They are going to dictate the pace of play no matter who is on the ice. You see that with Ryan Getzoff. Ryan Getzoff for years has slowed the game down, even as it's gotten faster. When he hits the ice, he's directing the pace of play, and you're not going to take that from him. You'll see that with like Connor McDavid on the other side of the, on the opposite <laughs> side of things, where yeah. Connor McDavid just like frantically raised the pace of play, right? Um, and so that was one of the things that Getzoff had been so good for so long, and now that he doesn't necessarily have the prime offensive skill that he once had, he can translate that now to a defensive skill and be like, look, he's not going to make the move at the wrong time. He's not going to get caught out of position. He knows where it is and he's going to make you beat him, which is very hard to do. He's not going to give you the opportunity. You're going to have to try and take it from him. And it, it just makes perfect sense how he could seamlessly transition that offensive skill of dictating the pace of play and essentially bringing back that over to the defense says, says, uh, uh-uh, you're going to play at my pace here. If you want to score, you got to get around me. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and it's been on full display this year. And I was going to ask you, um, <laughs> what's your all time favorite Ryan Getzloff moment. And <laughs> I don't know if I have one in particular, but there is one that's, that is fresh in my memory, which I, d- I do, do want to bring, bring up. Um, Let's see it. And it was Friday uh, against the Vegas Golden Knights where Getzlaff thought he had scored or I think picked up a point. I'm not remembering now um, and thought that he had done he had it. scored. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he, he had, had scored, put it in. Th- th- thought he had gotten the record, the all time record for the Ducks and turns around and sees that the, the whistle had not blown, but there was an intent to blow the whistle. So the golden count because Josh Manson had dropped the gloves and I put this. Well, that was the tying point. He got the tying point after that, but he thought he had gotten the tying point at the time. Okay. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting that wrong, but anyway, it it was involved in the record setting process. Yeah. 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 And I put the gif on Twitter of his reaction (laughs) and I would encourage people to go check it out because just the look on his face of sheer disgust and of sheer just WTF. I mean, it's, it's truly great. It's Getzlaff, really funny. Getzlaff just is one of those guys who just always looks pissed on the ice. And that was that was a prime example of that. Um, sorry that it had to be kind of a not so highlight, but it's okay. Uh, it was funny. It ended up being okay because he ends up getting the record. Um and yeah, that's right, because he tied he tied the the he tied it later on in that game um yeah. for the record. And then okay, I'm getting all my facts back together. There's been a lot of hockey the last week. Um it's I guess Monday, for you, man. Though, nobody's brain is working today. <laughs> is there is there a moment in the in the gets laugh storybook for you that that sticks out the most that you'll just i guess uh remember the most fondly or on the other fl- flip side of that just whatever comes to mind i uh, there's there's definitely a few he's got a lot of moments i've always been a big fan of his celebrations i always think Getsy has some of the best celebrations nice. on the team when when he scores a, a big goal he's just so pumped he's got some great moves that he can bust out I would probably have to say my personal favorite, though, is my favorite because it showed 
like both the best of it, like a Ryan Getzloff that you would expect and didn't expect at the same time. And that was a couple years ago against the Dallas Stars when the Ducks got on a five on three penalty kill. And they were on a five on three. They had a bunch of penalty troubles and they were fighting it off. They, um, I think Gibson was in net and Gibson was just fighting off all these shots. They were under siege and it was huge because they were still in the playoff race at the time. I think it was like 2017 or something like that. And they killed off and Getzloff was one of the ones in the box. Getzloff comes in the box to make it five, four um, on a regular power play instead of a two man advantage for Dallas. And he ends up, like I think stripping the puck from a guy in the defense in, in his defensive zone. And then he lobbed it to get it out and basically ice it, but he kind of just like flipped it up and it didn't go all the way down. It went like just over the blue line, but like kind of in no man's land. And I believe Dallas starts to go for a line change and gets off realizes that nobody is going for that puck. So he gets on his horse and he just flies up ice and Ben Bishop, who was in net at the time, Ben Bishop takes a, takes a look at this puck and he realizes, Oh crap, Getzloff is coming for this puck and there's nobody around it. So Bishop goes out for it at the same time. Getzloff beats him there. I have never seen this man skate that fast before. Like Getzloff <laughs> is definitely not a fast skater. He had turned on the Jets. He gets over. Nobody's paying attention to him. He grabs it. Bishop is completely out of the net. He takes the puck all the way basically down to the goal line. And from a severe angle, he roofs it to get the shorthanded goal. Oh, that's right. And- I think I think I remember this. Yeah. And, and after killing off the five on three, and I think that put the Ducks, I, I, that either gave them the lead or put them up by two. And it was just huge because number one, it was the the great skill of him lifting the stick. We've seen him lift the stick and steal pucks a number of times. It was the awareness to get it out, the awareness to realize that nobody was going for the puck, um, but then completely unexpected because he just hauled ass over to the puck and beat Ben Bishop to score. So that, to me, just kind of encapsulated the entire Ryan Getzoff experience with a little bit of an unexpectedness thrown in there. Um, That will always stick out in my mind, even though it wasn't necessarily a playoff goal or a huge situational goal. Um, It was one of the most exciting plays that I think he's ever had. I like that. I like that. A little a little uh, off the beaten path there. Um, so this is a topic that came up on Twitter after the game. And I thought it would be interesting to delve into a little bit on the podcast because we don't shy away from a good debate. I mean, that's kind of the lifeblood of this show. Is I'm ready. Let's go. Debating mundane topics. Uh, this one, though, I think is fairly clear cut and I don't expect there to be a debate so there was some chatter after the game about well first off is ryan getzlaff the greatest duck of all time is ryan getzlaff the uh is is ryan getzlaff a hall of famer and i'll just throw in my two cents to start and then this isn't going to be much of a debate but between us anyway well between us i'll give my two cents so the debate for for greatest duck of all time is i think pretty clearly between Timo Solani and Ryan Getzlaff. I mean, do you, maybe you can put Paul Korea in that conversation if, if you would like. Um, the, the thing with Korea is just he played the least amount of games of those three. You could argue had maybe the highest peak. I mean, he had 669 points in 606 games for the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, uh, which is pretty, pretty good. But I think you have to you have to rank Solani and Getzlaff higher just because of longevity, uh, which sucks for Korea, by the way. But hey, he got he got his number retired. Um, 
So to me, the, the, the debate for one is very clearly between Solani and Getzlaff. And personally, I think that you can make a fine case for either player. I think Ryan Getzlaff on longevity, on just the fact that, you know, he never left to another team. Uh, the, the, uh, he has been consistently productive pretty much the whole way through. Um, he, he has a great case being the captain, all of that. And then Solani, you could look at it as not, I mean, he, he achieved great longevity as well. And also, um, very high peaks with the ducks. I mean, if you look at his prime prime seasons in Anaheim, you're talking 50 plus goals for two years in a row, uh, 52 goals in, in 97, 98 and 73 games. Like that's, that's pretty good, especially at kind of the, as the league started entering the dead puck era, uh, not bad at all. And then, you know, Solani, I believe was traded at one point. So left the team for a bit, had a little bit of a flirtation with in, in San Jose and Colorado, but ultimately came back and had that rejuvenation 40 goal season in 05, 06, 48 goal season in 06, 07 to, capture the the club's first Stanley Cup in in franchise history. So very impressive resume for Solani, very impressive for Getzlaff as well. I don't have a horse in this race. I think again, you can make a case for either. Solani has some individual accolades that that Getzlaff doesn't. Um where do you land on that? Do you have a a, a kind of hard set opinion? I do have a hard set opinion, and to me, that's Ryan Getzloff is the best Ducks player of all time. I will say that I think that there are logical arguments for Solani. Like, I'm not going to say you're wrong if you choose Solani. I I think that's a valid opinion to have. In my mind, though, what it comes down to, I think, is the longevity, right? Right. Timo Solani has had great longevity. And at the end of the day, he may end up having a longer career than Ryan gets off. It kind of depends because Solani played until he was what? 43. Yep. 43. I want to say was his last season. And Ryan gets could retire before he turns 40. Who knows? But Solani played eight seasons for other teams. He didn't have anything really of note in Colorado and San Jose. He did break the rookie goal scoring record in Winnipeg and was in even in the next season or two that he still played with them. He was still outstanding as a young player. So he had some amazing time there. I mean, mean, yes, his team, his best team and what he should be known as is a duck for sure. But the fact that he has eight seasons worth of play for other teams I think just the the fact that Ryan Getzloff, I believe, already has more duck seasons than Timo Solani yeah, ever had. Yeah, he's at 17 uh, versus 15. Yeah, okay. So he already has more. Um, part of it's a longevity thing. You may say that's a little unfair towards Timu. Um, but what I will say, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, is that to me, if you can, if you take the team away and you just look at all-time NHL players, Solani is definitely above Getzloff. I yes. will admit that. Yeah, no one no one is disagreeing with that, but this is about what they did in a Ducks uniform. This is about what they specifically did in a Ducks uniform. And when you talk about what they specifically did in a Ducks uniform, you have Ryan Getzloff. And keep in mind as well that even during some of the years that the Ducks were good and were making it to the playoffs, the offense and the team's performance still went through Ryan Getzloff. Remember, for years, it was always says, it was always said, as Ryan Getzloff goes, so do the Ducks, right? Mm-hmm. And so 
Timu Solani, while still amazing, he played with Korea on his wing for a good portion of the time. I'm not saying that like Solani is the product of Korea, but certainly having Korea did not hurt whatsoever. Um, having him uh, rack up some of those points with him. And then when Solani came back, those were very nearly super teams for the Ducks when for the first couple of years after the lockout, right? And especially that 07 team, that 07 team is one of the greatest NHL teams to ever take the ice. So it, it, it's a situation where he definitely had, I think, better weapons around him. And it, it, overall, he was part of some stronger teams, whereas Ryan Getzloff has almost single-handedly at times been the Ducks' success and been responsible for a lot of the Ducks' success on top of the longevity that he has. So to me, that's why Ryan Getzloff, as far as Ducks sweaters goes, is the greatest of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty thin margin, I will say. I think it is. Like, yeah. like I, I have time for what you're saying, um, but I will say that I think Solani was more dominant at his apex as a duck than Getzloff was. Maybe that's... I think that may be fair. Maybe that's unfair because they play completely different games um, and, you know, just different career arcs. What's interesting is that a lot of... A, a, a big point of contention that people have in this conversation is we'll call it a conversation not a <laughs> not mudslinging uh is that look Solani was the star on that 07 cup team and Getzlaff was still you know 21 years old but look Getzlaff had more points than Solani in that cup run I mean it's 17 versus 15 it's not a huge margin but the 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 argument that you know Solani was carrying Getzlaff or whatever. I don't know if that's how people see it, but I don't think that that really holds up. And even if you watch the games, I mean, during the lockdowns last year, Jake and I did uh, some uh, some rewatchables, I guess, of old Ducks games, and we watched games from that 07 Cup run and and did podcasts about them <laughs> and how far we've gotten. Um, and you could see, like, Getzlaff and even Perry at the time like were key pieces of that team. I mean, that's a huge reason why they were able to win. And so I don't think that you can say, oh, it was, you know, Solani carrying the mail for Getzlaff or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, I, I would say that one thing that kind of hurts Solani's case, though, is that he missed out on the other cup run in 2003. And you would think that if he had been a part of that, that it would this would not even be a conversation. Be Very I well mean, could have been. You know, might not. And who have been. knows? Maybe he even pushes them over the top. Maybe they actually win that Stanley Cup yeah. inst instead yeah. of uh, winning the Conn Smythe. Um, one thing I, I yeah. one thing I do want to say, and I don't know how hot of a take this is. This may be a little hot. I personally believe that without the head injuries, Korea would wipe the floor with sure. the both of them. It sure. like Korea to me arguably was the most and and this is coming from somebody looking backwards i personally think based on what i've seen that paul korea was the most talented player to ever put on a duck sweater sure i mean if you're talking about yeah. just pure dominance pure yeah um apex paul korea has a fantastic case um and this none of this is to take anything away from him it's just mm -hmm. when you're trying to anoint the best player of all time or the greatest player of all time in that for a particular franchise, you kind of have to give the guys who played more games, more credit. Um, yep. I used to have this, this debate with my friends, you know, when I was a kid all the time of like, who's the best hockey player ever. And I had a friend who just ardently believed that Bobby Orr 
is the goat of the NHL. And it's like, I've heard a few people have that take. Yes. And it's (laughs) like, it, it Maybe the most dominant, if you want to go that, but you have to give credit to the guys who managed to have the longevity, even if maybe it's just luck. Like it, it sucks, but I don't know. I don't know how yeah. else we'll get it anyway. So for all those that are having the debate, Solani versus Getzlaff, I would say just appreciate both. I think that it's it's a very close margin, and if you have if you believe one to be the greatest, that's fine. But don't no need to to bring down the other is what I would say. Now here's part Agreed. two. Part two of this conversation is Ryan Getzlaff a Hall of Famer? So I feel like this one is. I find this one actually less up for debate than the the one we just discussed about is he the greatest duck? Um, if you look at the list of guys who have made the Hall of Fame, so we have ninety one thousand point scores in NHL history. Uh, Two thirds of them have made the Hall of Fame. Now, Ryan Getzloff is 11 points away from a thousand games or from a thousand points. And did I say 11 games away? 11 points away from a, from a <laughs> thousand points. God, um, he's going to be in that group very soon. And of the 31 that are not in the Hall of Fame, seven are still active. And two of them are the Sedin twins who just became eligible this year. So if you scored a thousand points in your career, your chances of making the hall of fame, the hockey hall of fame, by the way, it's not the NHL hall of fame are pretty damn good. And I did a little research before we started and found this interesting article, uh, which everyone should go check out. I'll throw it in our, uh, actually CJ, you're going to have to throw it into the, the Twitch chat because I don't have access to that. Or actually I do. Now I do because Jake is out of town and I can do stuff like this. Um, um. So this is from Owen Holland. This was a model that he developed last offseason and very interesting about predicting Hall of Fame probability and use the model that basketballreference.com uses and weighing different variables like goals, points per game, era adjusted points, cups, games played, and then individual trophy wins. And it's funny because like Connor McDavid, based on all those variables, is already at like 95% probability of making the Hall of Fame. Um, but he actually, so he has Ryan Getzlaff in here as right, and this was last year, as at a 73.5% chance of making the Hall of Fame. So these are, and he was among a group of players that need maybe a few more solid seasons to, to be locks to get into the Hall of Fame. But he was already at 73% in 2020 in may of 2020 per this model and you know like i don't know how like there's limitations to this model like they're they're written out in the in the article itself but i just think it's interesting to think about that he's he's going to be in that group of thousand points he's got the international accolades he's got the team success he's got the longevity doesn't have the individual awards which would probably make him a shoe-in honestly um yeah if he win if he wins the heart in uh when is it 24 Fifth, fourteen, fifteen. Whenever he was the runner-up to Sidney Crosby, if he won the heart that year, yeah, that he's a lock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was uh, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. So yeah, okay. Yeah. So I mean, he. I think that he might not be first ballot. He might not get in his first time around. But I have a very hard time believing he won't get into the Hall of Fame. Um, and I know that that might be weird for some people because it's like maybe they don't associate him as a top whatever player of this generation, but. When you factor in the longevity, the success, the productive years, the team success, it's it's pretty hard to make a case against him. I guess, at least in my view, I, I'm 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 in that boat uh, pretty firmly. What about you? 
No, I completely agree with you. The fact that I, I, I think to me, what is going to essentially guarantee his election to the Hockey Hall of Fame is when he crosses a thousand points. Because once you cross a thousand points, it's extremely rare that you don't get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And he has the other accolades. He has the one team, you know, the, the Hockey Hall of Fame voters definitely do have a little bit of an old school slant to them still. And the one team for the majority, if not all of his career, we'll see how it plays out. But the one team for, you know, most of his career and where most of his successes are, that actually does resonate with Hockey Hall of Fame voters a little bit. And um, the fact that he's been captain for more than a decade as well. So realistically, I think, yeah, he's going to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. I agree with you. He may be first ballot. It's going to depend on what year he becomes eligible and what his competition is. You know, if he enters eligibility the same year as like Ovechkin and Crosby and like all of them and stuff like that. Maybe we see him delay a year or two, uh, but he's going to make it in. And and I can pretty much guarantee you that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm feeling good about that. I would love to be able to bet on that somewhere. Um, <laughs> don't, don't have a prop yet to bet on, but I was people... just in Vegas last week. I should have done that while I was out there. <laughs> there has to be some, some sketchy sports book where you can bet on uh, hall of fame <laughs> candidacies. There has to be. Um, it's a, it's a sports book that only takes Dogecoin. <laughs> so on that note um i guess any final thoughts on the ryan Getzlaf uh saga because i mean we're 37 minutes into the pod which is totally fine ryan Getzlaf deserves even more than that but we should probably get to the rest of what we saw in the last week so any final thoughts on, on ryan Getzlaf? yeah i mean realistically at the end of the day it doesn't really matter if you think he's first or second if you think he's a hall of famer or not what matters here is the fact that he is one of the greatest ducks of all time. His legacy will last forever for this franchise. And he is one of the most beloved ducks of all time. That is a fact. And that is something you will never be able to take away from him or everybody who loves him. Yeah. Well said. I like that. Um, so, and, and also, I mean, I really don't think it's one, two, like between uh, gets and, and Solani. It's more like a one, a one B. Like I don't think there's like a I think clear, that's fair. There's not like a split between the two. Um, it's it's very close, at least in my mm -hmm. opinion. Um, so yeah, let's um let's move on to the week that was for the Ducks. So there's there's a lot to get into, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna decide where we're gonna start. I, I don't want to just do like the the run of the news. I think that what we saw in the last week for the Ducks, at least in my view, was a step forward. I think that you are starting to see the beginning of something new and look, there's, there's going to be some pain along the way. You saw the devastating losses two comeback wins in a row or two comeback losses in a row where the ducks were down three. And in the span of, you know, 24 hours losing in this, in the same fashion against Buffalo and Vegas. I mean, that that's, that's obviously a gut punch for the team right now, but the way that they're playing, the way that they're making these other teams work. It's just, it's just not something that we've really seen the last three years. And I think that it's, I'm not fully ready to say that they've turned this corner, that they are now this brand new team ready to take on the world, but there are signs of progress. So I guess for you, just 
in the last week has, I mean, how has your perception of this team uh, fared? Has it gone up? Has it gone down in terms of just your optimism? I guess, what's your view of how this is trending right now? I think you can't really ask for much more from this team than what they've given, even with the losses. Like, yeah, you definitely could want more wins. And I think that the Ducks have played well enough in several of these games to earn themselves a win, which ended up turning into either losses in regulation or in overtime losses. But what you want, this is kind of the ideal situation for a rebuilding team. You want to show progress. You want to show competitiveness. You want to be in games. And even if you're not winning, you still don't want to be, you don't want to be what it's been for the last couple of years where the Ducks are getting blown out night after night with the occasional decent game, right? At a bare minimum, this team is fun. They're in games. They've got fight. They've erased a couple of 3-1 deficits or 3-0 deficits lately, and they are there and they are ready to compete instead of throwing in the towel and looking dejected at the end. And that's a marked change from what we've seen the past couple of years. And just to go over some numbers from the past week here, uh, the Ducks actually grayed out pretty well overall uh, over the past week, over the last four games. Um, the Ducks are right about at break even an expected goals for percentage. They rank 14th in the league. Um, what's even better is that their offense has actually been pretty decent. They're a top 10 team in the last week in offense and goals four per 60. Um, so they're pretty, pretty decent as far as that goes. Now they're still giving up a lot of goals. They're giving up a lot of chances. They're near the bottom yeah. of the, uh, uh, of the table in that regard. Um, but that being said, this team is showing probably more, fight more energy and more offense and compete than we have seen in quite a long time. I'm skeptical if that is going to last. Obviously there's a lot of, uh, this is an extremely flawed team, right? There's a lot of questions with the team. There's been some injuries and COVID stuff happening lately. So we're going to see what happens here. And, uh, you know, frankly as well, the ducks haven't exactly played super strong competition, um, you know, Montreal struggles have been well-documented. Vegas was hey. kind of struggling. Um, that was not meant to be a shot at you, Felix, but, you know, maybe just a little it's bit. It's fine. The, the Canadians are terrible, so <laughs> go for it. He's accepted it. And <laughs> they're, they're a team right now that hasn't necessarily played the best competition, but it's good for the team, especially to get a well-deserved win. Um, it, on Sunday, um, it, it's good for the team to get some of these feel-good victories to see these players play well, especially, for instance, like Troy Terry and Sonny Milano doing so well with Trevor Zegras um, uh, still doing well with Getzloff keeping it up. There, There's a lot of positives here to take away. And this is what we've talked about before the season, right? It's not really about the wins and losses and their place in the standings. It's about how do their games look? What is the process like? Are they moving up? And I think over the last week anyway, that answer has been unequivocally yes. Yeah, I mean, to me, the game that I want to focus on, because I think this was the most emblematic game of the way things have changed, and I actually think that, you know, Dallas Akins or whoever on the team would agree with me on this, is the game on Friday against Vegas. I mean, because this followed a pretty classic Vegas script. For the Ducks. So they have the crushing defeat the night before against Buffalo, where they come back and they lose in overtime. And, you know, you can argue that they deserved a better fate. They had a really good um, third period at five on five. They, they really controlled play there. Um, and then in the first period against Vegas, 
Friday night. I mean, that's one of the worst periods I think I've ever seen them play. And in the time that we've been doing this podcast, I mean, we're going on, what is it? Three years, four years. I I don't know. I've lost track. I've seen some awful games from this team. (laughs) I've seen the Carlisle years and it has been brutal. So for me to tell you that that was one of the worst that I've seen, trust me, I've, I've seen some shit. Okay. Um, just to be very blunt, uh, sorry for, for the folks at home there for the language, but it's, that was rough. I mean, giving up great a chance after great a chance, um, uncontested scoring chances where they're just letting guys walk down the lane. And, you know, and, and of course, I mean, we should note that they were missing Ricard Raquel that night who suffered a shoulder injury against Buffalo, um, being listed as upper body, but he was listed. He was put on, you know, the the injured reserve. So missing some guys on, on the tail end of a back to back, but so you can make the excuses you want, but that was still a terrible period. And if it had not been for John Gibson completely standing on his head in the first period, they probably are blown out after period one and the game is completely over. Instead, they come out of it down 1-0, goal allowed to Riley Smith, and there's at least some breathing room there. Um, now, in past years, from this team, is this is a pretty common occurrence. They just get destroyed in a first period against Vegas or on the road. They just have these dud performances. And instead, what we saw from the Ducks was a very encouraging, very thorough response. I mean, the rest of the way... Um, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't totally dominate in terms of like shot attempts, but if you look at scoring chances, high danger at five on five, I mean, they, they won that battle six to two in the second period. They won that six to three in the third period. If you look at expected goals, they also just destroyed the, the golden Knights in that category. And that's just not something that we've ever seen from this team in the last three years. Like just this, this level of response and sure, you know, the, the Golden Knights are missing some key pieces there. There's no denying that. But that same Golden Knights team is the one that was running all over the Ducks in the first period. So I guess just for you, I don't know if you were able to watch that game. I probably should have asked you this before. But just looking back on it, I mean, what any individual performances, anything about that game standing out to you? I mean, I, I I agree with you. First off, that was one of the worst periods of Ducks hockey I've ever seen. I thought that immediately, but I I think I was thinking that like halfway through the first period, like my God, how are they not already out of this game? <laughs> well, John and of Gibson. course, the answer, yeah, and of course, the answer to that is usually John Gibson, right? And I I don't know if I really would say that I, I other than Gibson having a particularly standout game, I think that you'll see it in the numbers as well that once that first period had whatever Dallas Aikens and the assistant coaches told the team worked and Mm -hmm. you saw a full team effort. Now maybe the fourth line and we bagged on the fourth line enough. I'm not going to continue doing that here, but maybe other than some of the fourth line stuff, almost everybody on the team responded just so well and and they responded well in the second period they responded even better in the third period which allowed them to tie the game and i think that was just that's something that the ducks are going to need 
when they start getting good and they start competing in the playoffs again, they're going to need to feel like the entire team is contributing and not just relying on one player to keep them in games. For years, that's been John Gibson. At times, that's been Ryan Getzloff in earlier years when they were still good and they still had enough supporting pieces to make it work. Um, they're going to need to come together as a team and they're all going to need to pitch in and contribute. And that, I think, is what we saw in Vegas and it was perfect as well because they didn't let their history against Vegas, I think, get to them. They very easily could have let it get to them after that first period because Vegas, since they entered the league, has run all over the Ducks. I think the Ducks have only had, what, two, maybe three wins against it's Vegas since they entered the league. <laughs> yeah. And so the fact that they responded that well and weren't just relying on Gibson, but were actually outplaying them as a team on the ice that is incredibly valuable experience and that is a huge moral victory for this team. Yeah, exactly. And I know that for a lot of fans, when you hear the words of moral victory, you kind of, you get frustrated because it's, they're thinking, well, what about an actual victory? What about a win? But again, this season isn't really about that for the ducks. Quite frankly, of course you would, you know, for a lot of fans, you probably want to see them take the next step right away, be a playoff team right away, but that's just not how these things work. And also that might not be what's in their best interest anyway. Getting another really high draft pick. You're starting to see now the the fruits of the last few drafts for the Ducks. I mean, look at the guys that are leading the charge for this team. Homegrown talents. And you can get, and there's more on the way. I mean, Sasha Pasajov, I think leading the OHL in scoring right now. Um, yeah, he's unbelievable. Yeah, so there's a lot of subplots to go off of in this game. And I feel like if Jake were here, we would probably dive way into them i mean i think that a frustration that fans probably had in that game was seeing dallas akins just nuke his lines after the first period which i will say is partly understandable because of how badly they were playing but you saw nick delorier uh play on a line with getzloff and terry you saw contois and grew get benched for periods of time uh sam Steele basically didn't play in this game i mean he played 642 on the night and that's in a game that went to overtime so you saw Agen's kind of going into these moves that probably had, I mean, that I know had a lot of fans rolling their eyes, seeing Deloria playing those kind of minutes. Um, and look, I am not the most uh, enthusiastic about how Dallas Agen's handled the lines there, how he juggled everything. But I will say, and maybe people disagree with this, that you, the, the results are in his favor here. The, the, the team started playing better. And look, I can already hear Jake saying in my head, well, they played better in spite of him. Well, they may have, but they also played better. So, and I think part of that is playing their bad players less, playing Sam Steele less, playing Derek Grant less, playing, playing Bo Grew less, um, you know, just paring down the, the the time on ice of the fourth line seems to help. And then you saw Bo Grew also get shifted over to the wing, which I thought was interesting. And that would actually carry over into the game on Sunday against Montreal. And I um, like that move. I, I, I thought that was a good move. I would have, I've been advocating for him to go over to the wing for a couple of games now, but that's just, yeah. Me. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk too much about Boger every week. I'll just leave that one alone. Um, <laughs> I Ma do want to point out though, that uh, in our chat, Fernando Valenzuela, I know this isn't the real Fernando Valenzuela, but just for some reason, like, the thought of the real Fernando Valenzuela being in our Twitch chat. It's just very amusing to me. Um, but he says that the team is passing the vibe check this year. And I yes. think that's like a perfect way to put it, right? Like it's not necessarily about the wins. They're they're bringing the vibes and, and that's what we're here for. Yes, yes, there you go. Vibe check. Um, 
yeah, so I mean, so yeah, the, some weird line line juggling in that game. Um, you know, you saw Contouan the fourth line against Buffalo. Um, I mean, you you've seen kind of all of it this this week, the full gauntlet of Dallas Aikens uh, moves, um, which you know some people, or I think he was on the fourth line two games before that, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, I sorry that this is all kind of blurring together. But one thing that I did that I do want to talk about and we've got a couple more things I want to hit and then maybe we'll dive into some questions. The thing that has just blown up out of nowhere this week, the thing that has um, become a storyline for this Ducks team, and I'm kind of mad we waited this long to talk about it, but at the same time, uh, Ryan Getzlaff made history over the weekend, so understandable. It's the dynamic duo of Sonny Milano and Trevor Zegras. I mean, these two guys after showing some chemistry on a shift where they were not even on the same line, um, you know, against Winnipeg on Tuesday, you know, you saw Trevor, you, you saw Sonny Milano with a great takeaway and then feeding the puck over to Zegris for a goal. Um, you saw the same thing on Sonny Milano's goal where Zegris had a great forecheck and a steal. You know, you're, you're seeing these two guys, I mean, particularly in that game, I don't even know where to start against Winnipeg, where Milano um, had the spin around assist from behind the net perfectly over to Zegers in the slot, where Zegers had this, the the forechecking steal to get it over to Milano. Um, those two guys, and it's funny because even after doing all of that against Winnipeg, it, it took a while for Dallas Akins to actually put them together on a line, but it ended up happening. And it just feels like those guys mesh together perfectly. The fact that you know, Milano's kind of a, a worker bee. He's got fast legs. He's winning puck battles along the wall, but he's also got the skill to go with it. He's got the vision and he's got some good feel knowing where Zegris is going to be. And then Zegris is just, I mean, he is flying out there. He's winning his battles as well. He's forechecking his ass off. He is making plays with the puck. Like those two guys to me, I mean, they've actually willed it into existence, CJ. Like you, this is not some some master's plan from the coaching staff. This is just two guys finding a way to connect on the ice and forcing their coach's hand. So, I mean, how impressed have you been with those two? I guess if at all, but how what what's been your vantage point on those two guys? I mean, I think we expected this level out of of play out of Zegris. Maybe he's showing he's showing out maybe a little bit more sooner than some of us may have expected, but this level of play, I think we all knew and was one of the reasons why we've been so excited about Zegris uh, coming into the future and getting a full-time role in the ducks. Sonny Milano, on the other hand, wasn't know, even we, on the team when to start was, the season. <laughs> when he was sent down, all three of us, you, me and Jake were, were definitely critical of it. But at the same time, we were like, this is just another example of a thought process that we disagree with. It's not the end of the world that Milano is getting sent down. Yeah, Who knows what we, he we did be. Say we just that. want him to get the, yeah. So, so we were like, okay, yeah, we're fine. We weren't making a big deal. I don't think any three of us thought that we'd be seeing this level of play from Milano, like to this level. Um, I, I know mean, I certainly didn't. Not to completely toot my own horn, but I thought that <laughs> I didn't think that we'd see it like this exactly with Zegris, but yeah. He had the potential to contribute offensively at a, at a high rate, and that's the reason For you sure. leave him in the lineup. But anyway, continue. And 
to me, it actually makes perfect sense why these two are meshing so well. I think that they have very, very similar play styles that complement each other. They're, as you said, they're both worker bees. They're both getting their, they both have their feet constantly moving. They both play with very high energy. But the thing for me that kind of makes this pair work so well is that both are creative. Both mm-hmm. are very creative pa- players. They're looking outside of the box, inside of the box, everywhere they possibly can to make a play and to benefit the team. And we've seen that. We've seen that with them dishing some creative, really great assists from behind the net, down low, backhand, all over the place. They're this, they bring the same type of energy and they bring the same type of creativity to each other. And even though they're not exactly the same player, they that energy brings up the entire line. It brings up everybody else on the ice around them. And more importantly, I think it allows them to kind of expect each other's moves. One of the things that you'll see with very creative players is that there's sometimes you'll put certain players on the wing from them and they they can't necessarily anticipate the amount of creativity. We've seen that with Getzloff for years. Like one of the Mm -hmm. reasons why Getzloff and Perry worked for so many years is because Perry could always anticipate Getzloff's creativity and he could put pucks in the back and that he could make something of those plays. We've seen players not be able to do that with Getzloff. You see it in a bunch of other teams. And I think that's one of the big things here is that Milano, because he is creative, he can anticipate Trevor Zegras doing, he may not know exactly what's coming, but he may know that something crazy is coming that look, put your stick on the ice or look around for him. Zegras is going to be near me or that puck's going to be getting to me if I'm on the ice playing next to him. And that to me, I think is why they're working so well together because they mesh so well from an energy and creativity standpoint. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many things you can say about these guys. One of my favorite comments this week from Milano, and I think this was during the during one of the games when Ali Lozov asked him why they were working so well together. And I, this isn't perfect a, a perfect transcription, but I think he said something to the effect of like Zegers is good at getting open, which is just yeah. says a lot about his confidence level that he's the one saying that. Um, but look, I don't want to say I told you so. But we were pretty adamant about Sonny Milano being on this team. And we weren't the only ones, by the way. Like, there's other people, just people, not even people that do podcasts, not even people that look at numbers that are saying, yeah, this is a, a skilled player that should play. And he deserves to be in the lineup. And you saw what he did in the in the preseason. Should have been the lineup from day one. And the fact that he finally made it, the fact that he's really forcing the coach's hands, the fact that those two have made it happen is just such a great storyline to me. And... Hey, yo, Flow has been pointing this out a lot in our in our uh, Discord chat for patrons, which I, I have loved this narrative that of how good does the Devon Shore for Sonny Milano trade look now? Like this is like as he has made the case for this could be Bob Murray's greatest trade ever. <laughs> it's Shore for Milano. If you just and look for at- and for a while there, it was looking like. Not like a bad trade, but for a while it was looking like just another one of those shuffling deck chair trades. And mm-hmm. obviously it's still a small sample here, but the more this goes on, the better it looks. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just, th- that's been such a fun storyline just because it's kind of happened out of nowhere um, in terms of like, this wasn't a design thing. This wasn't the coaching staff or anyone else. It's just two good players finding each other on the ice and, and making things happen. And I mean, I think one thing that that should bear mentioning, if you look at just their decision-making process on the ice, Milano and Zegras are very intentional with how they play. They're not just dumping the puck in. They're not just running around. 
those guys want to have the puck and sometimes, yeah, they will chip it in to, because they have, they don't really have a choice, but these are guys that are always looking to make the extra play, see if they can squeeze out just a little more offense out of a possession. Right. And they're always looking to the middle of the ice. If you look at some of uh, Milano's assists, I mean, in particular, the one where he's in the corner diving on his back and, and just almost Ovechkin style against Phoenix in 06, just sweeping it on his back end. Uh, into the into the slot for Zegras, like these guys are just always looking to get the puck into the dangerous area of the ice, which is in front of the in front of the net and the crease. And so that's just it's just it's made watching this team a lot more enjoyable. I have to say, um, you know what I'm really looking forward to, and I think mm-hmm. you are uh, for this here is to get um, Corey Snager's uh, tracking yeah. data. Yeah, for 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 these players for this line, I am so excited, and I do know because I I talk with Corey every now and again, and and Corey said that he's doing a lot of focus on the Pacific Division this year, so mm-hmm. he so we, he's going to be tracking a lot of Pacific Division games. I know for a fact he's already tracked at least one or two Ducks games, um, and, and there should be a few more. But when those initial numbers come out, uh, that's going to be fun to look at. Yeah, it it will be, but just because I think we're going to see a lot of. I mean, the numbers, I think, are going to reflect pretty well what we're seeing. Um, okay, another fun story this By week. By the way, I j- just really quick, I just want to point out uh-huh. Dalton Keys in the uh, in relation to the, the Devon Shore trade where Dalton Keys actually points out the Cogs trade tree turned out pretty decent. Yeah. Remember, it was Cogs for Shore and then Shore for Milano. So turning Andrew Cogliano into Sonny Milano eventually, you know what? Not bad. Yeah, yeah, not bad at all. Um now, let's talk a little bit about Simon Benoit. So more just, I think, fun news this week for the Ducks. Simon Benoit in the loss against Buffalo, scoring his first NHL goal. Um, and, you know, for a guy that was never drafted, that was a training camp, I think like a rookie camp invite. I mean, it's it's like the lowest, <laughs> the lowest possible rung of undrafted player that you could get to. A guy that has just completely worked his way up to the point of getting an NHL contract, of being a regular for the goals of being a call up for the ducks to get his first NHL goal. Also a really cool moment. And I think one thing that has kind of flown under the radar a little bit is that Simon Benoit and Kevin Shattenkirk. So they've now played just over 68 minutes at five on five together. And they've formed a little bit of an effective third pairing for the ducks. I mean, you know, not dominating by any means, but they are above break even in terms of shot attempts. So 51.67 Corsi four percentage. And if you look at expected goals, four percentage, much more impressive, 59.47%. So when those two are on the ice, the ducks are on the positive side of the ledger in terms of shot attempts and shot quality. So I guess just for you thoughts on that moment, as well as Benoit's overall play this season. I've been impressed. You know, I, I I agree with you. I think that the best thing about Benoit is his story is how he came from literally the bottom. He, I mean, he's the perfect example of the started from the bottom. Now we hear thing from Drake, right? <laughs> yeah. He started undrafted again, rookie camp. You said like the lowest of the low and worked his way up to the NHL. He has earned every single step. 
that he has gotten to. He hasn't been like thrown up undeservedly or anything. He played well on his tryout that he did within rookie camp. He earned a contract with the San Diego goals to play professional hockey. He's put up a couple of pretty solid seasons with San Diego. Every time that I've watched him down there, I've always found him to be a, a pretty effective stay at home physical defenseman, but the kind of physical defenseman that you do want who can move the puck pretty well. And being called up to the Ducks and now getting his first goal, getting out like he has earned every single bit of this. And his numbers are not bad. They're not great by any stretch of the imagination, but he's been an effective player. He's, he, I would say that he hasn't been a negative to this team. He's held his own. And realistically, I think that's what that is actually even more than you could ever ask from an undrafted player to eventually oh, yeah. make it to the NHL and not be a negative on the ice. The fact that he's either a neutral positive effect on the ice is absolutely fantastic. And so his story is, is so good. And I really do hope he keeps continuing his play. Yeah. It's, it's totally a feel good story. And yeah, I think that to your point with him being a stay at home guy, it just seems to work better with Shattenkirk. You know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about Josh Mahura and how he just basically needs to play and needs to be given an opportunity. And this season, he hasn't really ran with that opportunity, which has been a little disappointing as someone that has had to argue uh, for him on many occasions. But, you know, with Benoit, it just seems like maybe the styles work a little better. Um, you know, if you compare like the numbers with Shattenkirk and Mahura, I mean, they're below break even at, in terms of shot attempts and well below break, even in terms of expected goals. It's a smaller sample with Benoit and Shattenkirk than it is with Mahura and Shattenkirk, so maybe that will change. But maybe it's the fact that Benoit is a little less, you know, a little less aggressive with the puck. He'll defer to Shattenkirk. He's looking to make the simple play, maybe letting Shattenkirk carry the mail a little bit more with the puck. I think that maybe that's why it works better. Who knows? Because Shattenkirk has been picking up a bunch of points this season. I think as of yesterday, he was, let's see here, um, he was the top scoring defense in the NHL as of 23 hours ago. I don't know if that's changed wow. now, but he's got 10 points in the season and he's gotten those points in large part because he's been playing a little bit of an aggressive style. And I think it's important to have a guy like Benoit next to him because it just, it, it limits the damage a little bit from some of his pinches, from some of his rushes up ice, you know, that you've heard it ad nauseum on the broadcasts about how, you know, the ducks want, their defenseman to jump up more this year. And you've seen that with Shattenkirk. It's paid off for his personal stat line, but having a guy like Benoit ensures that it doesn't come at the cost of like the team's overall success. Uh, Can I just toot our own horn here for a mm -hmm. second? Like all of us here at Crash the Pond have been, it, it kind of sucks that we feel like we've had to defend Kevin Shattenkirk, but we've been defenders yeah. and even to some extent proponents of Kevin Shattenkirk, like people expecting this 60, 70 point defenseman who's you know, infallible in every aspect of the game. And we were like, no, I mean, he's a good player, but he's a three and a half million player. Like he, he, he he's what his salary makes him out to be. Right. Yeah. And even right now, he may be even overdoing that a little bit and and, and actually yeah. being delivering a little bit of surplus value to the Ducks. So I almost I, I kind of want to toot our own horn here a little bit and uh, say, like, not to say we told you so, but we kind of told you so. I mean, <laughs> we're starting to pick up some W's here with Milano, with Shattenkirk. Yep. Um, I think 
with the way the team is playing overall, like we've been advocating these are the games we should see from the Ducks, right? And and playing well by playing some players less that we have said should not be playing as much. So, you know, maybe we know just a little bit what we're talking about. I mean, I do need to admit that the Mahara uh, optimism has not really panned out so far. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe it never will, but um, I, I think for the most part, like the way that the team is, you know, the, the way that certain things have played out on the roster, like it's not like they were completely unforeseen. Um, okay, moving on a little bit here to try to just round out the news because I think we're over an hour now and uh, maybe we want to get in some questions from the Twitch chat. One thing that was interesting this week, um, I mean, we... I, w- I wanted to talk about this. I don't know if maybe is it is it beating a dead horse now to say that Troy Terry is very good. I mean, he's on an eight game point streak. You saw the goal that he scored yesterday. You've seen the way that he's played over the course of the last week, over the course of the season. I mean, if you told me that right now that Terry's been the Ducks' best forward this season, I wouldn't. I might not fully agree because I think that that's probably Trevor Zegers, but he's just. He just continues to do it game in and game out. And it's just like, I know that we probably sound like a broken record singing his praises every week, but this has been, I'd like to think this podcast has led the charge for the Troy Terry fan club. And he is making us look damn, damn good right now. Oh, absolutely. And he is coming into his own. I think what we're seeing now is the consistency of what we have seen in flashes and of what we knew he could be right and right now i i'm just gonna say he's not gonna keep this up although maybe i could do yeah, it like really the, the, right the now point and say pro- he the, will yeah the point production yeah he's he's on a 91 point pace right now <laughs> like Come that on. is that is an uh, obviously we're only what he's only nine games in right but yeah. uh, and he is shooting what he's he's shooting 28 percent. so yeah. th- th- the shooting is going to come down but what i will say is that i don't think that he may not score as many goals but he definitely i think can keep up the playmaking the assists and rack up a good amount of points from that because he's not relying on goal scoring for this you know to happen he's making some outstanding plays he is driving play he's meshing with ryan gets extremely well when that line gets out on the ice it's a very rare that they don't put pressure into the offensive zone um, they are playing just extremely well. And Troy Terry is a huge part of that. He is making so many things happen. And I almost feel like to, like he's had a couple of those things to where his signature move, where he like comes up on a defender and he pulls the puck in to try and change yeah. the angle. And previously that would just go straight into the defender's chins. He's mm-hmm. actually starting to get some of those shots through now, which, and if he's figured that out, it's over for you hoes. So, <laughs> yeah. so he may not perform exactly this well no. but he's performing incredibly well and i expect him to have a very good season provided there's nothing horrifically wrong sure yeah and, and i think that there's been this tiresome narrative i'm tired of hearing it as, as you can tell by me describing it as tiresome um that you know terry is has this newfound confidence that before he would get in his own head. And now he's, he has simply chosen to be confident, CJ. You know, confidence, happiness. I'm with a, you. It's a matter of choice. You know, but I guess my question would be, uh, if confidence is a matter of choice, then why doesn't everyone make that choice? Why doesn't everyone choose to be happy and stoked and on top of their game all the time? Um, I, I, I don't <laughs> think Aiken's 
I, I'm not entirely sure Eakins means it like that. But no, well, it, mental it, health. It, no, it's the whole I, it, it's the whole rah rah self help thing, uh, which it, I get. it is, which is, it, but that's also very harmful from a mental capacity, and I think it does bring up the whole thing with Terry of like, as you said, like, okay, if it was always a him choosing to be confident, then like, why, why wouldn't is you choose just that? choosing it now? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, like when what? somebody comes to you and says, like, just don't be depressed. Oh, thanks, I never tried that. I'm cured. That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's a bit of bunk. Uh, actually, it's totally bunk. Like, I, I mean, of course, these yeah. these people that are talking about it know him better than we do. They're in the building. Like, they see him. So maybe to some degree, his own mental resilience has gotten better. You can you can hear it in his comments that he is a thinker, that he, um, he's got a lot to say. I think he's a little more in-depth than the average hockey player in their post-game comments. But I just refuse to believe that that's why he's actually playing well. I think that really what it comes down to is a couple things. One is he's playing more. <laughs> like he's always like yep. if you just look at his overall impact on ice, he's been an effective player every time he's been on the ice just in terms of the overall impact like shot metric, expected goals, you know, defensive metrics. Like he's been solid at that the last couple of years. He's become a little bit of an analytics darling and he's just getting more opportunity now. Like this has always really been there. The difference this season in terms of perception, of course, the shooting percentage. And I also do think that he has gotten there. are He's just gotten like, this is going to sound really dumb, but he's gotten better at playing the game itself. He, ha he hasn't, you know, in, in, in what he's done better this season. I think that most of what we see he's always had, but he's gotten quicker. He's gotten stronger. I mean, he's turned into a puck thief. He's out there yep. just stripping guys of the puck left and right. And he's always been good at that, but now it's to another level. And I think it's because of just better fitness, probably um, better reads. And also if you look at the plays he's making out there, he's his success rate on just, you know, open ice moves, getting shots through defenders, getting shots, um, you know, through traffic, getting shots when there's no lane where you have to change the angle. A la Austin Matthews, you're seeing him do that kind of stuff regularly. And that's, that's not something that just happens. That requires a lot of time, a lot of hard work, a lot of working on watching film, you know, practicing with skills coaches. Like this is all learnable stuff, but you have to spend and it, and it hours on it and it doesn't happen overnight. So he may have been working on this, probably has been working on this the last few years, but now you're starting to see it really come together. So instead of there being this whole narrative about him just, you know, figuring it out mentally and just, you know, shaking off the blues or whatever, maybe he's just gotten a little better at hockey. <laughs> like, like, why is that? Why is that off the table here? Um, so an yeah, NHL I, player taking their potential and getting better, Felix to stop. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, Pump the I, I, I think that he's kind of just crystallizing now in terms of all the different aspects of his game, defensive, you know, without the puck, with the puck. Um, it's it's just been a joy to watch, and I, like you said, I don't expect the um, point production to necessarily stay at this pace. I mean, he's got ten points in nine games, but it's it's been a lot of fun. And I think now, when you watch, um, you know, Trevor Zegers and how well he's played, and uh, Troy Terry also standing out, like you're kind of starting to see that um, that leadership core for the Ducks, that next leadership core starting to come together. So. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's not surprising to me either that Troy Terry 
is making this leap, especially on the offensive side. Like, yeah, he's running a, a bit of a shooting percentage bender right now, but we're seeing a lot more action. And as you said, he's been one of the analytics darlings, but he's been specifically a analytics darling in the defensive aspect. A lot of the analytics models have shown him as one of the better analytics um, uh, guys in terms of defense in as far as forwards go in the NHL. And to me, it was always a matter of can he take his defensive skills, his ability to keep the puck out of it? Because that's really what this is about, right? Like keeping the puck out of your own end as much as possible, limiting the other team, getting opportunities and turning that into offensive opportunities. Because we see, we've see we seen players who can do that but don't have much on the way of offensive side. I think this year he's finally starting to put together that, look, now that he's got the puck out of, the, out of his own end, he's learning, and I think Getzloff certainly helps with this as well, but he's learning how to create offensive chances and get actual, turn it into actual offense once he transitions it. Okay. Um, sorry, I was just typing something out. No, I, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, in terms of the defensive aspect, you know, it's just he's gotten so much better at that, keeping the puck out of his own end, that it's kind of, uh, it's just given him more opportunities with the puck. So, yeah, f- funny how that works out. How, right. uh, you know, maybe not have not having to play defense is a form of defense. So, anyway, a um, couple of other notes here to just round out the the last week. So. Mason McTavish is on a conditioning loan to San Diego and he scored a goal in his first game as a goal and sets of and becomes the youngest goal scorer in San Diego goals history, which means that he has set the record now for both the ducks and the goals in the same season as being their youngest goal scorer ever. And it was a really nice goal too, as well. A one timer, a nice feed across the ice from O'Regan just a ton of power and accuracy on that shot. So I don't know exactly when we'll see McTavish back. The assumption is it's going to be about three games down in San Diego, um, but we will see there. Uh, CJ, do you have, can you hear me right now? Okay. So (laughs) CJ is dealing with some audio issues right now, which is totally fine. Uh, We will, we will get you through the next few minutes here as that gets resolved. Um, Let's talk about an, couple of notes that maybe aren't quite as fun so Ricard Raquel was placed on injured reserve due to that shoulder um where he just kind of can you hear me I can hear you unfortunately I have lost audio I sincerely apologize keep going Felix okay well I can hear you so (laughs) at least we're getting your voice um yeah so Ricard Raquel placed on IR um the act of Silverberg put into the COVID-19 protocol which is a huge bummer um as of Monday, there were no other positive tests, so we are just going to keep all our fingers crossed that that, that uh, continues with the Ducks, that there is no outbreak there because that is an issue that we're seeing pop up around the league, and it's just not fun to talk about. So I'm going to end that there. Um, of course, on Sunday, we saw the hit that Trevor Zegers took from behind from Cedric Paquette. Um, really scary moment for Zegers. I mean, went down in a heap, total hit from behind in the numbers, he goes down and pocket would get a, a game misconduct or a five minute major. And he would not come back. The ducks would score on the ensuing power play announced today that pocket will miss the next two games suspended by the NHL. So I think that that's warranted. If you look at his past history, the nature of the hit itself, it was a bad hit. And there's just, I guess not a whole lot that you can say in pockets defense there. CJ, can you hear me? Yet? Sorry. 
I am I am back. Sorry, guys. Okay. Thank Ugh. God. I, I am bad at ranting on my own. So. <laughs> but yeah, what did you think of the Paquette hit on Zegris? Garbage. Total yeah. garbage. Yeah. I, I, I there There's no, uh, I think, opinion that you can have that it was anything other than a terrible hit. I mean, he, he covered a bunch of ice to get to him. He clearly had hit on his way the entire time. He was up against the boards. There is no universe where that hit looks anything but terrible. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, you know, like people were trying to say, oh, well, Zegers turned around at the last minute or whatever. It's like, no, the, the Department of, of Player Safety did a good job of showing that even if you account for that, Pocket still had time to adjust. So, yeah. Um, yeah, just not a good hit at all. And good to see that Trevor Zegers came back. I will say that, you know, I don't know what the kind of protocol is there for concussions, how rigorous it is you're just hoping that they were as cautious as possible in getting him back in, which I would assume that they were, you don't really mess around with the franchise center like that. Um, but we'll see what his status is for the coming games. He did return. He played, didn't play a ton, but I, I don't know, I guess what, what's your thought on that? And just if we'll see him the next few games, I, I obviously hope he's okay. That definitely looked like he, probably sustained at least a mild concussion he very well could have gone into concussion protocol the nhl's concussion protocol but given how shall we say questionably the nhl has handled concussions in even their own protocol in the past yeah i'm not 100 comfortable saying that oh yeah i think he's fine because he came back out on the ice we're gonna have to see I really hope he was maybe just shaken up a little bit and that he is good to go there. It seemed to be because I was down in the lower bowl on Sunday and it seemed that there was some blood on the ice and he obviously had a towel that he brought yeah. up to that. So maybe it was more of a shock thing and he had just had to get patched up a little bit on his face. But um, I, I, I will say, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. I still am a little worried. We will see. Uh, when it comes to tomorrow's game, uh, yeah. would love to see him in the lineup. But even if he is in the lineup, I think that we're going to have to watch him pretty closely to see, hey, does it look like, at least from our perspective, in the as far as the eye test goes, that there's any lingering issues from that hit? I think it's just more of a we'll wait and see situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's scary to see good. I mean, yeah. at a bare minimum, if he came back in, he wasn't just that out of sorts which is a win in and of itself but uh yeah caution needs to needs to rule the day there okay well so outside of that i think that's everything i've got from the last week um covered mctavish covered some of the injuries point streaks hall of fame debates anything else that you want to cover before we dive into some questions here let's get into those questions <laughs> okay um Let's see here. Let's just start with Lewis here. Lewis X209, great friend of the show. Patron asks, question, will Ryan Getzlaff be the first Ducks player to get a statue in front of Honda Center? Wow, that is an interesting question because, look, we just talked about uh, statistical models for the Hall of Fame, uh, the resumes that it takes. I don't know what the metrics are here for statues, CJ. I... <laughs> I, oh man, that's a good question. <laughs> I think it's really going to depend on what the Samuelis plan is for OC Vibe, the area development around Honda Center. Um, you know, because obviously there's no, the only statue there is right now is the Wild Wing Defender statue. You know what the um, question it, is, right? For Getzloff, if he gets a statue? 
Yeah. The biggest what? question is, does he have... Oh, is he bald or does on? he have hair? And, and if he has no helmet, do you give, <laughs> do you give him hair or not? He <laughs> has to be bald. If if he has hair or a helmet on, we riot. Yeah, I feel like I feel like even he would want he would want the full right? the full dome going on there. Um, and, the, just, and, and just make it extra shiny. And they need to make it. I would love it. They probably wouldn't, but I would love it if they made it small enough so people could, could like come by and rub <laughs> his head for good luck. And then over the like twenty years, you'd see the statue just worn down from people rubbing Getzloff's head. D- Dalton Keys with a good point here. Uh, half bald, half hair, like the bobblehead from a couple of years oh ago. Oh my god, that, I that hate was... that idea, but I also love it. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, just from the perspective of, you know, like a statue is supposed to be this like ultimate honor and uh, to just have it be kind of like a troll almost would be funny um, just to spend that much money to build a statue. By the way, slight little side note. One of my favorite stories ever was the fact that when they brought the idea to Getzloff to do a like a half hair, half bald bobblehead, apparently he immediately said yes. Like he didn't even like let them finish the sentence. He was like, yes, let's do it. He was so on board with it. And I just love it's, it. It's it's hilarious. It's also just yeah. like frightening. Um, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have one of those bobbleheads. It's fantastic. You do. OK. Oh, oh yeah. Dang. I'm mad you don't have it on screen. That that's a bit of a letdown. I'll, I'll but... bust it out the next time I'm on. Okay, sounds good. Um, let's see. Let's go. What else do we have? This one is from Odog81. So, do you think Shaka Perot or Lucas Dostal will play in any games near the end of the season? Well, I'll jump in right away here and say that Anthony Stolarz, oh boy, um, has not been doing himself any favors as of late in a Ducks uniform and. As everyone knows, this is a pro Stolarz podcast. He has played well in the past, even had a good couple games to start the season. Sorry, but... my headphones just died. And now CJ is having audio issues yet again. <laughs> CJ, can you I hear me? I'm trying my best here. Okay, he, he cannot. So this is this is a bit of an issue. But once again, we will we will get you through. It's okay. So yeah, Stolarz has looked a little shaky. Um, I don't know what the future necessarily holds for him. So I would not be surprised at all if uh, Dostal gets a look this season. Um, in fact, I, I might, be, I might even bet on it if I could somewhere. It's, it just feels very likely. And then uh, with Perot, I don't know. I, I don't really know what the, what they're thinking with him. I mean, it feels like he's one of those guys who they need to be as careful with as possible. He's got a little bit of a one-dimensional game right now, which is fine. Um, he needs to cultivate that in the AHL and you just don't want to rush him too much, but Hey, if he gets a nice hot streak in the AHL and there's an injury with the big club, um, I could see it. I could see it happening. Um, and also at the end of the season, you know, usually when the ducks are well out of it, you'll see that they give the kids, um, a decent chance. And now we have just completely lost CJ. So folks, let's see if I can get myself in here. (laughs) Okay, we have just lost CJ, so I'm going to try to keep this afloat. I've got it. I've got it. Okay. I needed to CJ's back. and re-enter the studio. So sorry, guys. Here CJ, we go. CJ, I was I was pretty scared for a second there that I was just going to have to ride this out uh, completely I've got on a, my I've... own. So th- thank you for that. Oh, and he's gone again. <laughs> oh, this is a disaster. Okay, that, that's fine. We'll we'll keep the train on the tracks uh, as well as we can here. And now he's back. My CJ, you, you gotta stop. You gotta stop playing with my emotions, please. My browser crashed. I've okay. I swear, my oh, heart can't handle this. I am personally marching to Sergey Brin and Larry Page's house if Chrome 
fails again. <laughs> okay, just please try to survive the next ten minutes. We'll, I, we'll try to we'll try to wrap this up. I, I, I think what, I'm good. I think I'm good. I don't remember what I was trying to say. Um, I think oh yeah, Perot and Dostal. Sure, I could yes. see them. I could see them making it. Um, okay, what other questions? Can I just answer that really quick now that I'm yes, here? yes, okay, cool. Please. Someone <laughs> um, else talk. <laughs> I, I I think it's really going to depend. I. I would say on the trade market, I think Perot still needs some development time. Um, I wasn't particularly impressed with him in preseason. Um, I, I still think he's a great pick. He's going to be a good player. Um, he's just he's very similar to Arthur Kaliev for the Kings, where his game is uh, all about that offense, all about that shot. But he definitely needs a little bit more marinating time and a little bit more development time. So I think it's really going to depend on the forwards the ducks trade if the ducks possibly trade enough forwards you may see peru come up um so we'll see what happens there and i think the ducks aren't really interested in rushing him to the nhl at this point lucas dostal is kind of an interesting one for me because that's really going to depend and i think we've talked about this before on what happens with john gibson because john gibson has a lot of years left on his contract but Dostal has been performing incredibly well at pretty much every single level he's played at. And if he continues to play well this season and puts up the numbers that the Ducks think that he can, then what happens with the goalie market? Is it hot? Is it cold? If that comes at the trade deadline and the Ducks decide, hey, maybe there's a perfect storm here to move on from it, we could see Dostal. However, if Gibson doesn't get moved, Barring a big injury situation, I have a hard time seeing Dostal play this year. Interesting. I actually think he will play because okay. I think Stolarz Fair. has kind of sucked so far, to be honest. Yeah, other than the <laughs> first game, he has not been great. Yeah, okay. So this one is from Heyo Flow, and it's a good question. What is your season-to-date grade for Dallas Akins? And I saw on Twitter another good friend of the show, that guy Bobsky, saying, rate Dallas Akins' performance with a bunch of E's. <laughs> It's Aikens until further notice. Sorry, I don't make the rules. Um, I'll, I'll throw this one to you, CJ, because I, I don't know if I want to answer this right away. Give give Dallas Aikens wow, a grade so far. Wow, me under the bus. <laughs> you know what? This is fair. I, you, des- I did... you, you deserve this after, I do after, deserve your, this. after headphone gate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, will, I will take the L and wear it with pride. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. <sighs> I want to say my gut is to say C plus. Okay. Um, I I think that very middle of the road. Yes, the Ducks have been performing. <laughs> oh, dog eighty one Dallas Beacons. <laughs> That's good. Ha ha. Um, good I'll one. come back with Dallas. Good one, Randy. Boom. <laughs> um, no, I think that certainly the Ducks have seen improvement. Several young players have seen improvement, and. Aikens is the head bench boss. Like everything, everything kind of starts from him and goes down. That being said, it is a completely revamped assistant coaching system. We've got different people running the power play, running more offensive schemes, running defensive schemes. The Ducks told us specifically that they want Aikens to focus specifically on what he does best which is communicate with the players. And I think we've all known that Aikens has very good communication skills, especially when it comes to the players that play for him. 
and I maybe he's filtering the message from that that in the proper way, and that he's not necessarily stressed or burdened with things that he may not be as good at. Um, it, it's just how this coaching structure, I think, has been set up. So um, I, I think he definitely deserves some of the credit. But we've talked ad nauseum about some of the other decisions that he's made, giving Zegers little ice time, the, his trust in the fourth line, even though they've been routinely outplayed. There have been plenty of bad decisions, plenty of uh, lineup decisions that we haven't agreed with that have carried over from the last year or two. So I, I, I think it's definitely been a mixed bag, but it's certainly not terrible and that there has definitely something is working better for the team this year and Eakins deserve some of that credit. Yeah. You really saw his communication skills on display in the behind the scenes video where he's explaining to the team that you, we've got to be half a goal for better and half a goal against better. You know, that's, that's the high level communication. That's that... groundbreaking. That's what <laughs> analytics is kids. <laughs> um, okay. So I will delve into the subject matter. I will try to not be too scathing, but I just don't know what he's done any differently this year. I actually don't know. Like, it's hard for me to give him almost any credit for what's going on right now. Um, I think that a lot of the things that are going well are happening in spite of him. Like the power play is better. I mean, he's even like, he's even said this, like he is not involved or he wasn't involved in, in creating this power play. He's still in, in all the meetings, but he is not, um, you know, like he's not the one necessarily driving that bus. But if you look at the lines, the way that he's put Delorier in the top six down the stretch, if you look at the way, like the, just look at the handling of Max Contois and just how he's been shuttled back and forth between either scratched or on the fourth line. And it just doesn't feel like there's a plan there really outside of just like go on the fourth line and figure it out, like start hitting people. And then we'll get you back in the top six, you know, he had to have Derek Grant basically like taken away from him in the beginning of the season for him to, to stop playing him to, to that degree. Um, so I will give him some credit because like you, you know, the, the, some of the young guys have played better. Troy Terry is playing incredibly well. And maybe like, we don't know what the conversations are behind the scenes, but you, you figure there has to be some communication between Akins and Terry. So give him a little credit. Um, you know, the, I will say that the, the, the blue line has been improved. I think taking Mahura out is looking like, uh, the correct decision. I'm going to go C minus I'll, I'll give him a generous C minus. Cause like, I just, you know, this, this team for all that it's looked, uh, improved in the last week is still, uh, near the bottom in all of the shot based metrics at five on five. And I'm just starting to wonder, like, when are we going to see a Dallas Aikens coach team? at least in Anaheim have just like not abysmal five on five numbers. Like when is that going to happen? Because I feel like there's enough talent on this roster to at least just be competitive in that respect. I mean, the, the Kraken are 14th and expected goals four percentage. Like I, I'm not saying that the ducks are at that level of talent, but at the same time, like they've had more time to establish their identity. They have talent. Like it, it shouldn't be this total Rubik's cube. Um, and I know it's easier said than done, all the caveats are in there. And as you mentioned, the ducks are climbing slightly upward in that department, but it's, it's hard for me to give a ton of credit to Dallas Aiken so far. I will say it is trending up. Like I think I'm becoming more optimistic on how he's handling things, but 
it's still very much touch and go. So sorry for the rant, everybody, but this is a, a topic near and dear to me. Felix <laughs> ranting on Crash the Pond podcast? Never. That's the first me, time that's ever happened. Me ranting about Dallas Higgins on the Crash what? the Pond podcast? That that's that's out of character. I, I should I should I, I should go seek help. Um anyway. Uh let's see. What other questions do There's we have? There's another question here um uh from Fernando Valenzuela again. Uh love your pitching, my man. Sam Sam Steele had two goals in that one game, but hasn't shown much else from that. How are we feeling about him? He's been bad. Yep. He's he's just been bad. Like I don't know what else to say. I, I don't, you know, I've run out of like mental gymnastics i can do to make him look anything but just you know just under underwhelming i i'm not whelmed i'm not whelmed by sam Steele this season like look at the on ice numbers like they're actually like they're below his career average so i would assume this will pick up but like 33.6 corsi four percentage um 22.9 22.91 expect the goals percentage like, major yikes I almost lost my mind reading that teams are controlling almost 80% of the expected goals with Sam Steele on the ice. Like that's not all on him, of course, but he's just been putrid. I don't know if there's any, like, and it's not even a numbers thing. Like you watch him play and like, what does he do? What does he do on the ice? He's not making plays. He was on the wing with, with Terry and gets at one point, And every time the puck would get on a stick that the play would just die. Um, so it's like they've tried everything with them. You know, is he a center? Is he a wing? Should he be in the top six, bottom six? It just feels like whatever they do, it just doesn't go anywhere. And maybe over time it'll, it'll improve. Um, maybe he just needs to kind of ride this out, but the coaching staff doesn't even seem like they're willing to wait. He was benched against Vegas and he was scratched against Montreal. So like, I just feel like, you know, I don't want to harp on the guy. I, I don't want like, this isn't personal, but it's just, any any hype that existed about this particular player needs to be shelved because yeah. right right now this is like probably a low point for him you know he's still young there's still time to to climb back to 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 forge a career for himself but he's on a one year prove it deal and he's he's definitely proving something i'll tell you that <laughs> cj i just don't know if it's what he wanted to be proven uh you know yeah. when he was going through that ridiculous scoring rampage in the whl there were a ton of people who you know were what's ready funny? I just want to quickly interrupt. You, have you noticed that like we reference that every time we talk about him? Like he's done so little at the NHL yep. level that we're still talking about that one year in junior. Like yeah, it's incredible. But, but, so my point here is relating to what he's doing now, where everybody took a look at that WHL year and immediately started anointing him the next Ryan Getzloff. And I very clearly remember myself and both you and Jake pumping the brakes on that and basically saying, like, look, there's our kind of ceiling projection for him is like a middle six, you know, good contributor. And I think that was always a thing. He was a late first round pick. That's a pretty good projection for a late first round pick. But for me, none of his skills, none of his individual skills 
have ever stood out to me, even at the junior level. His shot wasn't better than everybody else's. He's never been a particularly fast skater. He wasn't particularly great on the puck or, you know what, he, he just didn't have any skills that stood out. Why I think he had more success in junior was the fact that he had a pretty good hockey mind in junior, that he had the ability to kind of read plays to see that. And, and definitely in junior, players are going to be a little bit more predictable um, at, at that end. Like they're, you're still developing, you're still training, there's still certain habits habits that are drilled into you at that level. And so I think he can maybe pick up on those, but as soon as he gets now to the higher level, specifically the NHL, where skill really is going to be one of the most important things that you deal with, his lackluster set of skills can't necessarily make up for his hockey mind being halfway decent. Like at least with Ryan Getzloff, he has incredible um, passing skills, puck speed skills, the vision to put stuff in there is incredible, even though he may not be fast. And he also has a wicked shot too. So we know that, and he can succeed based on that. Steele mm -hmm. doesn't really have anything, I think, that could drag himself up. No, I, I mean, it, it's, it's yeah, it, this this horse has been beaten properly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like they're running out of things to try with him. Um, and, and he's running also... out of room here. And I very, I think we could really, I, I personally think that if this keeps up, we could see him dealt at the trade deadline for like a mid to late round pick. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't even know what he gets you at this point. Yeah. I, I actually, if you can get somebody to give you a fifth or a six, you take it and run. The, the, yeah. The, the, the problem with steel is that, um, well, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just that there's too many other players now. There's too many other spots, mm -hmm. too many other guys for, and only so many spots. So he needs to, if you're going to trade him, you need to find a team that is going to play him and try to just get as much value as, as you can for him. Uh, this was a good question from, I believe Dalton keys. Yes. Dalton keys. Good question here. Um, MVP of the ducks through 10 games. So this is kind of a fun one because I feel like you could take it a couple of different ways. So as I have done before on the show, I will do again. I'm just going to throw this to you immediately. Hot potato style, your MVP for this team. Um, and you don't have to have an answer right away, but just who, who comes to mind? Um, I already know what yours is going to be, but for me, it's going to be Troy Terry. Okay. Okay. Interesting that you're uh, assuming my pick. Um, but what is your pick? And I'll tell you if I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to hear, I want to hear your, uh, your pick while I look up stats. <sighs> Fine. Okay. Wow. You get, <laughs> you, you know pulling, what? I am, I'm, I am I'm totally paying for this headphone gaff. I, I am, uh, I'm pulling a Jake on you and, uh, <laughs> and putting you in a tough spot so that I can All sound right. smarter. All right. I'll deal with it. This is fine. Um, uh -huh. but realistically, it's, um, part of it's the numbers like yeah he's on a shooting percentage bender and he's not going to have this many points but points are an indicator of what happened in the past it's not like you get 10 points in nine games or nine points in eight games and go oh no he's a crappy player he didn't do well no that's objectively not true he got points he did well we just talk about it more of like a prediction in a future type of way right like look is this sustainable um, and so far to this point, based on what has happened in the past, for me, the points are there for Troy Terry. Um, and for me, the eye test is there as well. He seems to be involved in every play. His line is always involved. It looks like they're a threat to score most of the time they're out on the ice. 
Uh, to me, he has been this player who is truly making measurable impacts on the ice when it comes to winning games, when it comes to generating offense, when it comes to keeping the puck out of the own zone, he is making those, those impacts. And he is the one who I think is really so far kind of leading the charge in terms of the Ducks individual player productivity. And so that is why he is my MVP to this point. Yeah. I think that that's a totally fair pick and maybe even the correct pick. Um, I know Jake will, will it is objectively the correct pick. Yeah, like he has he has <laughs> ten points. Uh, that's a lot in nine games. Uh, he would probably have more if he hadn't missed the second game of the season. Um, I guess just to go a little different. I mean, it's kind of hard not to give it to Kevin Shattenkirk because he's also got a boatload of points. I actually thought you were going to go to Zegers. Yeah, I am going to go to Zegers though. I mean, okay, thank you. there we go. <laughs> thank I you. I feel better it, now. <laughs> he doesn't have like the strongest case. It, maybe this is a little bit of just my priors, but it it's it's just worth mentioning the fact that like his impact on the ice this season has been really pronounced in a way that we haven't seen it, um, you know, before. Like with him out there, of any Ducks forward, you know, he they've produced the most expected goals with him on the ice so far this season. Um, if you look at expected goals for percentage, he's at 55.82%. It's the highest of any forward not named Sonny Milano, who's got a little bit of a smaller sample. Um, he's above break-even in shot attempts, 52.03. Um, if you look at goals for percentage, since we're just talking about what has happened, not trying to predict the future, um, actual goals, um, the differential is not quite as amazing, you know, seven goals for six against. So there is a little bit of a shootout element with him on the ice. Um, but he, he's just had a, a, vis- a noteworthy impact when he's been out there. Like it's, and it's not just him, you know, making uh fancy plays with the puck because that's, what's gaining. Like that's, what's building up the hype train with him is that he's making all these just amazing dazzling plays, you know, going between the legs trying Michigan goals and all of that is just like, it's what makes watching him so much fun, but he's also just become um, like, like Troy Terry, a puck thief. Like he's just stealing pucks from guys. He's so quick and he's so smart without the puck. Now, like on the four check, he makes it really tough for the opposition to break out. And he's only got five points uh, as opposed to Terry's 10. So it's, it's not quite as impressive, but he has picked it up as of late. And I think just in terms of pure impact, I think he's been just a little higher than Terry offensively. I think Terry, you could, I mean, definitely defensively, but Zegers has been great. And the more that he gets to play, the more that, and you know, you see like his impact on the power play. I think that he's just going to continue to shine uh, this season. And maybe, yeah, for maybe, sure. And when, maybe and when there are other more deserving players, but I think he's been great. Yeah, and when you look at like expected goals for per 60, Trevor Segris is leading the team in that regard. So the, it, it, realistically, like his shot, totals his course he four totals are above, slightly above break even but really where he shines is the shot quality right the like when shots yeah. are getting off when zegers is on the ice they're from dangerous areas more so than really any other player so that's definitely in the favor of zegers having that mvp status yeah exactly i mean if you look at expected goals four per 60 like you're mentioning he leads everybody on the ducks at 3.3 after that it's milano at 3.19 um and like he's you know, he hasn't played all that much. And then after that, 
you go to Adam Henrique, who's at 3.15, who I think has also been very good, by the way. Yeah, Halo um, D, Halo Deflo had uh, Henrique as an honorable mention, and yeah. I really like that. I, th- I think Henrique is a good honorable mention for this category. Yeah, I, I mean, he's got nine points in 10 games, yeah. and he's, he's been a member of, like, every line he's been on has been good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so after those first three guys, the next highest forward is Raquel at 2.68. Like, there's a pretty wide uh span between Zegris and just everybody else. So, you know, as his defensive game continues to improve, I think we're just going to see him become a real force. And you know, for his Calder Trophy odds, I got to say They Cole went up Ca- today. <laughs> Cole Caulfield being sent down uh to the AHL definitely did not hurt his Calder Trophy odds. Um I don't know if you saw maybe I I don't have it in the I don't I don't have a way of putting I'm just going to say any of you who got Zegris at the what was plus, it? It was like, like plus two thousand. Yeah, plus two thousand. It was yeah. like plus two thousand odds before everybody realized, and and now he's the odds. He's been the odds-on favorite since preseason because everybody realized, holy hell, these odds are horrible, and and the odds went back. But like for anybody who got in on him on that, good job. Yeah, um, yeah. Seriously, that was a ridiculous number. Um, not a gambling <laughs> man, but like, oh my god, like yeah. that's just that's 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 a big number. Um. I saw a, uh, a meme today that I don't have a way of, I don't know where I can find it. I saw it on Instagram, but um, I, I can't pull out my desktop, but it was, you know, the, the, the Drake meme where it's like, there's one image at the top where he's kind of like putting his hand, like looking away from oh, it. Oh yeah. Like, I was like, there's and, a lot of Drake memes. You're yeah. Yeah. And then there's that one on the bottom where he's like, looks yeah, happy. Yeah. yeah. So the, the top one where he's looking away, like frowning instead, they have Cole Caulfield's face on it and it's the Calder trophy. <laughs> And then the one at the bottom where he's like, yes, it's the Calder Cup. Oh, Even as a Habs fan, I had to laugh at that because that is uh, that's on the nose uh, in a in a pretty brutal fashion. <laughs> um, yeah. So outside of that, I don't know if we really have any other questions. I mean, Fernando asking, I know Volkov is out. Any update on him that we know of? I think he, he actually signed a multi-year deal. Uh, to go back to the KHL with uh, SK Moscow, I believe, or CSK, one of the two. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. Is that all we've got today? I think we were supposed it. to make it, it to two hours, but, yeah. and by supposed to, I mean, someone said that in the Twitch chat. And then I said, challenge accepted about getting to two hours. So <laughs> how dare you? Um, I have work tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost 10 PM, you know, yeah. it's, 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 it's prime time. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that will do it for us tonight, guys. Uh, thank you, everybody who, who stuck around in the Twitch chat. That was a lot of fun. Um, here are a few ways that you can support the show if you like what we're doing here. So we referenced it a bunch of different times today, but our Twitch chat, uh, twitch.tv slash crash the pond. Uh, we do these live streams every Monday night, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, you can check us out there and interact with us as we're doing the show, leave questions. As you can see, it gives the show a different energy, right? It gives us a way of kind of keeping things going or maybe we're running out of topics. Um, And you can actually subscribe to us there for free. If you're an Amazon Prime member, you get access to one free Twitch Prime membership, one free Twitch Prime sub. And then other ways that you can support us, this is a big one, our Patreon uh, page, patreon.com slash crash the pond so a few different ways there for a dollar a month one dollar monthly pledge you get access to our patrons only discord chat uh that's a ton of fun really it's it's a really fun 
community that's kind of popped up there really on its own. Uh, Jake and I and CJ have not had a whole lot to do with it, to be honest. Everybody in there is just so much fun, so great. Um, that's where we'll you know talk about Breaking Ducks news, NHL news. There's a general chat for just kind of off-the-board topics, so it's a lot of fun there. It's honestly one of my favorite places, if not really my favorite place to talk about hockey online is in that Discord. So check that out. That's for $1 a month. For $5 a month, you get access to that as well as two bonus episodes a month. And this month, actually, of November, because Jake was out of town and some scheduling conflicts, we'll have three bonus episodes this month. So if you're just joining on now, you actually get a pretty nice deal for your first month. Um, And on those episodes, we'll go more league-wide or we'll go more in-depth on a specific Ducks topic. We'll do league-wide rankings, uh, you know, who we think is going to win a certain award. So if you and if you enjoy the banter of the show, they're they're a little more unfiltered. Um, so go check that out. And then for fifteen dollars a month, you get access to everything I just talked about, in addition to two live watch-alongs a month, and that's where we'll do a live broadcast of a game uh, where you know you get we'll have a you know the scoreboard up on the screen, and you can have our live commentary as the game is happening. CJ has been on a few of those. Um, they're, they're pretty fun. They kind of turn into us just shooting the breeze at different points in time. <laughs> yeah, like I mentioned on the last pod, for those of you who listen, it's almost like if you it, just like imagine we're on your couch in your living room just watching the game and yeah. talking about the game. That's basically what it is. Yeah, it's a it's a laid back tone. You know, it's not the kind of uh, more, I guess, rigid broadcast booth element that you may be used to. Um, so that's all of that at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, if you don't want to make a monthly pledge, that's totally fine. A bunch of different ways that you can support us. Um, if you go to Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and a review. We really do appreciate those. Um, those go a long way in helping the show grow. Um, and they're totally free and they just take a couple of minutes. And you can we also... do read them live on the show, provided yeah. you're not completely trashing us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they're respectful, yes. um, try to work in as many inside jokes uh, as you can. That's that's really what uh, what, what we've seen as has been the trend. People just love to throw in the inside jokes, which lets us know that you're you're a you're a keen listener, that that you've got a sharp ear for what's going on on the show. Um, and odog81 asking, do I rant on the broadcast? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, especially oh, yeah. when, especially when Derek Grant, I mean, last season, there were just some full on meltdowns, like with Derek Grant getting offensive zone faceoffs instead of Trevor Zegers out of like TV timeouts. Those, those are some fond memories. Um, and then outside of that, we are also on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, you can subscribe to us there. Make sure to turn on your notifications. So you'll get the video version of the podcast so you'll basically get the twitch stream in there and that's a lot of fun reading the youtube comments as well and then last but not least uh, you can find us on twitter um so that's at crash the pond crash the is where you can find the actual blog the actual website um cj is on twitter at cj woodling i am on twitter at felix underscore sicard and on that note that is going to do it for the show this week guys thank you so much for listening if you've made it all the way to this point uh, sincerely applaud you because I mean, we're almost at two hours here. Have a great rest of your week, everyone. And we will talk to you at the next show. Thanks for listening. Bye everyone.